name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I've always been reluctant to continue a sermon theme from the previous week. It presumes everyone was listening and could remember what was said. Nonetheless, the theme of foregoing personal vengeance from last week's epistle raises additional questions that are answered in part by this week's epistle. The main objection to being told, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, is the implication that this relegates us to injustice until the Lord returns. St. Paul answers this objection in the epistle by explaining how wrath may be executed in time. He tells us to be subject to the government because the ruler is, quote, the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, this is an astounding statement for the one St. Paul sees as God's minister is Caesar and those under his authority who were notorious persecutors of Christians and would be the agents of St. Paul's own death. But to call Caesar God's minister is not to say that Caesar is virtuous. It is to say that since all authority comes from God, all who have authority administer justice as agents of God. This is, of course, a two-edged sword. Caesar is the minister of God, but Caesar is also accountable to God for how he administers justice. The writings of the biblical prophets are full of references to rulers who have been weighed in the balance and found wanting by God. To have God-given authority in any capacity is always responsibility and never merely privilege. It is likely that St. Paul developed this framework of understanding by meditating on the situation of Israel at the end of the Old Testament. When Israel became unfaithful to God, God used pagan rulers as agents of his wrath and judgment. Chief among these in the Old Testament was the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The prophet Jeremiah told Israel that because of the nation's unfaithfulness, it was his will for the nation to become subject willingly to the Babylonians. When Israel refused, Nebuchadnezzar, God's agent of judgment, invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and the city. A parallel situation prevails in the New Testament. Jesus said that those who judged him would see him coming on a cloud in judgment. In the context of the first century, the promised judgment came through the Roman legions, who also destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. It should be noted that all the pagan rulers whom God used to execute judgment upon his people ended up being subsequently judged by God for their own sins. Again, saying that Caesar is the minister of God is not saying that Caesar is always just. It is saying that all authority is ultimately from God. All rulers serve at God's permission and all rulers will be held accountable by God. 
God's judgment on pagan rulers is a central theme of the seventh chapter of Daniel, where Daniel has a vision of one, quote, like the Son of Man, a title Jesus claims for himself in the New Testament. And the connection of Jesus with Daniel, Son of Man, is very important to understanding Jesus' ministry. In his visions, Daniel saw four successive world empires, which were portrayed as beasts. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and a fourth beast more dreadful than the first three. Their beastly appearance indicates that they were ravenous and subhuman. In Daniel, God gives his universal authority to the Son of Man because he is the genuinely human one, the true descendant of Adam, the one who will rule righteously and fulfill the human vocation that the first humans lost through sin. The authentically human Son of Man will supplant all subhuman pretenders to the throne. In the interim period, until the second coming of Jesus, he reigns in heaven and he uses temporal rulers to execute justice. This is why we pray for them. For most of Christian history in the West, the rulers we prayed for were at least nominally Christian. This is no longer necessarily the case. This is why we pray for the actual people who have authority over us, rather than only, quote, Christian rulers. The New Testament instructs us to pray for all who are in authority, not just the ones who are believers. As 1 Timothy says, quote, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, in all godliness and honesty. From the understanding that temporal authorities are God's ministers of justice, we can glean a few practical points. First, God does not want us to be lawless and rebellious. This is why the New Testament is constantly telling us to submit to authority. Sin is lawlessness. The original sin was to rebel against God's authority, and it is a sin to disobey authority that God has ordained, unless, of course, that authority tells us to do something that is wrong. We should obey the laws of the land. We should be subject to the authority of the church. We should honor authority in the family. We should honor God's rule through those whom God has put in place to rule for him. Another practical point is that we are called to be just. From time to time, each of us may find ourselves in some position of authority. We are called to exercise that authority justly, with impartiality, for the good of those over, th over whom we have authority, and not merely for personal advantage. Again, all authority is God's authority, and we too, will be held accountable. A third point is that there is no conflict between forgiveness and justice. There can be both personal forgiveness 
and judicial consequences. I can surrender my personal right of retribution to God. I can forgive a murderer. And in the same situation, the state can be the avenger on God's behalf and execute him. In terms of forgiveness, it is my responsibility to let my anger and bitterness go so that I'm not led into sin. It is my responsibility to commit the task of judgment to God and to those to whom he has committed responsibility for that. But it is the state's job to administer justice so that evil does not go unpunished. I must forgive and not seek personal vengeance, but the state must not forgive. It must be the just avenger. The failure to understand this distinction leads to a great deal of muddled thinking about forgiveness. Justice in time is always less than complete. This is why the promise that he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead is so central to our faith. If the powers that be fail as God's ministers, we know that Jesus is coming to finish the job and hold unjust rulers accountable. Until then, we are called to obey those whom God has put in authority, to be subject not only because we're afraid of punishment, but also so that we may keep a clear conscience and stand blameless before the judge on that day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.